We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Casey! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday... Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, maybe inappropriate for children under 13. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy for you to create your stunning website. Go to Wix.com and create your website today. It's easy and free. That's Wix.com. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOHOOPS when you deposit for a free contest entry on DraftKings today. All right, it is Tuesday, January 26th. Nick Whalen joins, as I always am, on Tuesdays by Rotowire's own DJ Trainer. A lot to get to today in the NBA. Spurs Warriors last night, which 
we talked about how much of a disappointment uh, Warriors-Cavs was, but I feel like this was even more of a disappointment, so we'll break that game down. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Hornets-Kings thriller from last night, and then, of course, touch on everything that's going on with the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, but how was it going? I know you moved this weekend, right? Yeah, I did move How did this- that go? Um, still, it's still going, still actively going. I don't have an internet connection right now. Um, so trying to push through that, uh, you know, weird spot in my life on a transition point in my life. Happy to talk about some b-ball. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start, let's get right into it. Um, Spurs Warriors. This is, this is another one that I think I, I mentioned in conjunction with the, the Cavs Warriors game last week that I like planned my night around, you know, I'm doing this, doing that. I'm like, I'm getting home by nine 30 and watching this game. And that's what happened. Uh, of course, had to stream it because it's blacked out on League Pass, and I don't have NBA TV at home, much like a lot of people. Um, so, you know, the feed wasn't great, and the basketball wasn't great either, at least from the Spurs' perspective. This was so similar to me, uh, the way the game unfolded to that Cavs game, right? I mean, kept it close early. The Warriors kind of kept going on little runs. The Spurs were able to claw their way back into it. So many turnovers, though, in that, especially in that second quarter. And the Warriors, you know, that's when they expanded that lead uh, into double digits, close to 20 by halftime. I'm going to get your blood boiling here, Nick. Uh, I called this. I completely said this was going to happen. This is exactly the type of game Popovich wanted. They didn't in throw every the game. Single way. They didn't throw the game, but you know what? Did you notice that the coaching alignment was a little bit different? Did you notice, you know, their, Duncan was out? They were just trying new stuff, doing dummy things out there. This was close to an exhibition game, more so than a regular season game, and that's exactly what Popovich wants. I, I, know, I know the answer to this question, but let me ask you, what is the incentive for winning this game for the Spurs? What? Well, I mean, seeding. I guess. Okay, besides seating, is it pride? Seating and pride. Pride is probably maybe one thing in this context, at least, that San Antonio doesn't care about, right. really. I wouldn't, you know, the word pride can be applied different ways, but I don't think they care about winning the regular season series or anything like that. But I also don't think they threw this game. I, don't I mean, think Tim Duncan, Tim Duncan's Tim Duncan, but he's also playing, you know, 20 minutes per game. It's not like they sat out Kawhi Leonard. Um, I don't think they threw this game either, but here's the thing. I think that they just tried some new stuff to see if it worked or not, and they didn't really care about the end result. It was more about trying new things, like even with the coaching staff, even with ball handling, all this stuff. But here's the reason why that I actually think that the Spurs are okay with losing, the first of which is the Warriors don't want to feel like they're behind the Spurs in any way. So you don't want them to roll in and feel like, we still have to be on top of our game. We really need to you know, keep training, keep doing all this stuff. We need to game plan hard. You want the Warriors to get complacent with the Spurs. So that's the first reason. Second reason is you want the Warriors to chase the all-time regular season record because you know what? They're going to tire themselves out trying to get there. No, they're not. Nick. They have nobody in the top 25 in minutes played this season. Steph's not even in the top 30. I'm I mean, I get it. Menta- I get mentally, mentally, sure. But that, that narrative is so overplayed. They're playing games. These guys are going to be playing these games anyway. I mean, how many games are they going to sit out? The Spurs overrested last playoffs and lost in the first round. But the result of last games, I mean, the res- the actual result bodes well for my argument, though, right? There's if no you're, way so you're trying to like hustle the Warriors, basically. Like you t- you're like going in yes. and like you don't, you know, you're going to play pool with some guy at a bar and you yes. you play poorly for four times so you can sweep them when you when you meet later. I don't know. I'm not saying sweep them. I'm Warriors just saying- are better than that. They're not, the a team you, they're not a team you can hustle. Yeah, they, they lost by 30 last night. And I know, you know but, the Spurs called off the dogs, whatever, but 25 turnovers? They've turned the ball over 25 times in a game exactly five times since 2000. 
never since 2011. Like, that, that doesn't happen to this team. Right. So what was atypical, though? The fact that they probably don't really care if they beat the Spurriers or not, or beat the Warriors or not. Steve I'm just, Spurrier. I, yeah, Steve Spurrier. The old ball coach <laughs> coming back. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree. I don't think they care. I mean, what was Pop opened up his postgame presser uh, by getting up on the podium and saying, no, oh, man, we almost had him, yeah. <laughs> which is great. Like, he doesn't care. They he don't care. They've, he never does anything like that either. They've, they've been in so many big games that you're going to lose a lot of big games. You know, you lose some, you win some. It is what it is. It's the regular season. I don't think they care about it, but I also don't think that, you know. So they're sitting Tim Duncan. Greg Popovich didn't go in there and tell them to lose this game. They came out. You know, you could tell they were intense. Parker, visibly a guy who's usually not that vocal, was, you know, pumping his fist, whatever you want to see, in the first quarter. And, you know, if you're if you're Kawhi Leonard, if you're Tony Parker, Leonard got roasted defensively, which is so rare from him. There were a couple plays that you probably saw on Twitter. You know, you're... I think he went into that game with confidence. I don't think that confidence is by any means destroyed. Yeah, I think that's something that, that kind of sets the Spurs apart is they don't, they don't let one game end up affecting them. But I don't think you thought you were going to lose that game by 30 points. I don't know that you necessarily thought you were going to win by 30 points or win by 10 points. But I think this is a, this is a look yourself in the mirror a little bit moment for them where even if they weren't fully prepared to, to throw everything at the Warriors to win this game, I don't think they thought it would backfire this dramatically. Here's a crazy scenario. You let me know how crazy it is. You have lots of assistant coaches, and essentially what you have is you alternate kind of game planning or things that you would check off for the coming game and strategy or whatnot, right? So two assistant coaches look at the next game, and then you have the other two look at the game after that. And So it's not just going from game to game. What if Pop just looked way down the coaching ladder and said, you know what? You get the Warriors game. You've never done this before whatsoever, but let's just give it a try because, once again, we don't really care if we win or lose this game. Is that something that you think is feasible? Like, again, an exhibition game for the Spurs. Like throwing the game plan kind of? Not throwing the game plan. I mean giving somebody who's never gotten a shot, give them a shot, kind of knowing that, you know, it's probably not going to work out. But why? Like, why? Because— What's the ultimate goal in this? I just don't see any actual reason why the Spurs would want to win this game. I do think that they want, wanted to lose last night. They're going to lock up the two-seed in the West. They're, I mean, they're not going to have home court advantage when they play the Warriors. There's, there's no reason to show your hands at any point during the regular season. There's I, just, I think There's just no reason for them to win this game whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I, I just think that you can say— you don't want to win these games because you basically want the Warriors to get overconfident, right? But at the same time, if they overconfident, but like they're building their confidence winning these games. And, you know, this is a modern NBA. Every team has tape of every single play every other team, you know, throws out there. Even if the, the Spurs are running their most basic offense since Golden State, they can look at other games and see what they've done. And it, it is a little bit different, you know, to see it firsthand than to see it on tape. But I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see the benefits in in basically throwing three or four games in the regular season. I think when these teams are so close numbers wise, I, I don't, I don't see why one team would do that and why another team wouldn't. So last year during the regular season, Paul Pierce playing with the Wizards almost never played the four. He never played at the power forward in the playoffs. He moves to the four, and wow, this team is incredibly effective playing the four, and we knew that the coaching staff knew all along that they were probably most effective playing Paul Pierce at the four, but they chose to hold that back and used it when it really mattered. So why not? Why can't we say the same thing about the Spurs but on a grander scheme in terms of strategizing for the game, in terms of using your full personnel, in terms of mentally really going after this particular game? Do you think it would be different 
if the Warriors lost by 30, would you be saying they threw the game, or is it because it's the Spurs? If the Warriors lost this game, they would come out like so vengeful, not only against the Spurs the next time they played them, but the whole entire NBA. Like you don't poke a sleeping bear. You know what I mean? Like there's no reason to give the Warriors extra motivation and determination for winning a game. And especially, I mean, essentially, if you beat the Warriors, if the Spurs beat the Warriors, you're just giving them added motivation that you wish you wouldn't have given them. Yeah, I I guess. I mean, so we think they just kind of operate differently than the Warriors or than the Spurs in that, you know, you don't you don't expect that same kind of revenge factor from the Spurs. You know, they lost last night. Are they going to come out and dominate whoever they play like the, like we think the Warriors would? You know what I mean? I think the Spurs are just the most savvy team in the NBA, and it goes from the front office to the coach all and through all 15 players on the squad. I think they're all completely on the same page, and a loss like this doesn't affect a, another team whatsoever. So I wouldn't necessarily that the Spurs will come out and say that they'll be vengeful and incredibly motivated. I just think all along Pop knows what type of strategy he wants to implement against the Warriors, and we sure as heck aren't going to see that at any point during the regular season. That's all fair enough. Um, so we won't see. We see these teams again. I think it's in about a month or so. Correct? Could be. It could be shorter. Right? Let me. Yeah, I'll check it out. They yeah, play three more out. times this season. They play three more times, and two of them fall within the last, I think, calendar week yeah. of the season. Right. So those two, I think, if if we were having this conversation, and obviously there's added context, and there's games that'll be played before those, but these teams meet on April 10th and April 7th. So the for the Spurs, that's two of their final five games. It's their fifth last game their third last game if they get blown out in those two then I, then i maybe entertain the you know it's close to the playoffs you're playing them again in a in, you know in a couple i guess in like a month with the way that you know the playoffs drag on maybe a month plus um so that would maybe be a little bit more feasible to me they play again on march 19th which is those and this one's on abc hey we can watch it those three games are very bunched together march 19th right. april 7th april 10th so yeah three times within you know less than a month three weeks basically uh, so Based on all you said, what what do the Spurs do come March nineteenth when Golden State comes to their place? Rest Parker, rest Leonard, same thing. And they do and they do the same thing for those final two. Yeah, why not? If they're gonna, I mean, obviously, maybe I'm standing on toothpicks right now with this argument. But if we start to see the same thing, uh, lots of turnovers, interesting game plan. The coaches are sitting in different seats than they normally do for normal games in the second, third, and fourth games. Then I think you know my theory will be proven right. We'll see. Yeah, I I just don't know that there's why like, if they want to get rest for these guys, like do it on another night. Why does I I don't see what why would you try to beat a team that's why would you not? You? But, I mean, if you're gonna W's are W's, they doesn't matter who they come against in the regular season. So if you're gonna put out a full, you effort, have a chance. You're two games behind them in the loss column going into this game. You have an extremely legitimate chance to catch this team at some point. If any of those, any of their major three players gets hurt, they could easily lose. You know, three out of fifteen games, which maybe is all all it takes with San Antonio. Like, do do they not value home court as much as they should? That's well to me. I mean, that's that's, that's that, maybe the biggest thing here. Yeah, no, no. And this no, is a team that had to play Game Seven on the road against the Clippers last year and lost. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I understand it from that point of view. And if you want to poke holes with my argument, that's the thing to do. It is that they're still right behind. Yeah, <laughs> a little jab move there from Nick. <laughs> um, if you're yeah, if you're gonna poke holes in my argument, do it with that, and that makes complete sense. And um, I'm throwing it out there now. Uh, when we come back to it, when they play March 19th and the Aprils. 
you know, maybe I'll get back on my soapbox, but I'm willing to admit that it is weird that the Spurs would already be giving up home court advantage throughout the Western Conference. So I, I think it is weird just because of what happened last year. And yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just such a contrasting argument that Golden State is pushing for this record and San Antonio, which also had a chance and still does technically, you know, to get to 72, 73 wins. They just don't care about it at all. Well, one team does. So I don't know. Maybe maybe you're right. And they do end up kind of throwing these next three against Golden State and it'll be, you know, finally decide does it matter if you push through the regular season or not? And then, and then, you know, assuming they both get to the Western Conference Finals, we'll have an answer to that. Um, but overall, just a disappointment as far as uh, from a sure. competition standpoint. Yeah, and let me just say, I wanted to see a competitive game. Right. I, like, this is my theory, but I wish these guys would have just duked it out like it was Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. I definitely was disappointed. Uh, love Boban, but I didn't really want to see him on the court at any point last Such night. Such soft hands. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk a little Kings. That was the other big story. There were quite a few uh, big performances around the NBA last night, but none bigger, of course, than 56 points from DeMarcus Cousins, who has 104 points over his last two games. And, I mean, he, is, he has been statistically probably the best player in the league over the last month, if you want to make, make an argument from that perspective. And the turnover numbers have been high, I mean, four per game, over four fouls per game. He's shooting forty six percent from three on three plus attempts. That's kind of been maybe not the difference maker for him, but just having that extra dynamic, I think, is allowing him to free up a little more space. I mean, the month of January, and we're getting this is ten plus games at this point. Twelve games, thirty four and a half points, three assists, fourteen rebounds, a block, and almost two steals while shooting fifty two percent. This is a guy who historically hasn't shot all that great of a percentage uh, from the field. He's never been uh, higher than fifty percent for a season. So. By far the best month of his career. I think he's basically a lock to be player of the month at this point. He was already player of the week. Uh, but last night, 56 points. This is a this is a game that went into double overtime. So there's a little bit of that caveat there. And he, he went off in the first overtime. I think he had nine points uh, in that period. I could be wrong on that. But they get to the second overtime. Cousins goes up, or there's a shot, I think, from the corner. I think it was a Rondo three, actually, which was odd. And also odd because he needed three points at that point to get a triple-double. But that's that's the point for another day. Um <laughs> Rondo shoots a three. Cousins goes up for the rebound in traffic. Two and basically two and a half guys kind of draped on him. Just does what he does. Gets the rebound. Goes back up with it. And in the process, gave a little bit of a shoulder to Frank Kaminsky's chest. I don't. Not a little bit. I mean, he swung. Well, watching it live, I thought it was a terrible call. And I'm laying in bed like screaming because I want. I mean, he was going for sixty. He was going to the line to, yeah. to, for what would have been maybe his 59th point if he hits that free throw. Uh, and the way he was playing, you could tell. Like he knew what he was at. He was getting. He was going to get sixty one way or another. There was like three minutes left in in the second overtime at that yeah. point. Um, but yeah, they showed the other angle, kind of from the top of the basket. And he, you know, part of it is just that's how big he is that he just sends guys who are seven feet tall and almost three hundred pounds flying. But you know, it was it was certainly questionable. Uh, I wanted to ask you first of all, does it matter what the situation is to make that call? Because a lot of it was you know, on Twitter was you can't make that call when he has 56 or you can't foul him out on that call. Like people wouldn't have been upset if that would have been his fifth foul. But the fact that it was the one that fouled him out, I think is what kind of riled everyone up. Do you think there should be a standard there or like the context needs to be taken into account when calling us something like that? No, 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 no. And if we had Adam Silver on our podcast right now, you know what he would tell him? If it's a foul in the first 30 seconds of the game, it's a foul in the last 30 seconds. I'm interested of the game. to see the re- the ref report from that game that should come out today because I don't I don't think it was the wrong call. I think if you're well, let's I mean two things, Nick. Um, 
the maliciousness with which that arm and elbow and shoulder swung around, even if he doesn't make contact, I mean, it's just too malicious not to have malintent there. Second thing, let's not forget that Marvin Williams, Spencer Hawes, and Tyler Hansborough all fouled out of this game, and they were almost all those fouls came on Boogie. So are you willing to tell me that 18 of them should have been called um, in favor of Cousins? 18 fouls on those? I mean, I'm just saying here, if we're going to talk about one foul, let's go back and look at those other 18 and see if those were actually fouls too. And so, again, you can't really focus on one thing, but because everybody was watching at that point, both the Spurs-Warriors game was still going on, but it was over, everyone switched over, um, we're talking about it today, and I think it's dumb, in all honesty. Yeah, I, I think it was just kind of something where everyone wanted to see a 60-point game. You know, we sure. don't, something that doesn't yeah. happen that often. I think, was, is the last one LeBron? This was a trivia question a couple pods ago, wasn't it? I think it was I think Kyrie. It, no, he had, he had 55 and 57 last year. Okay. But I think I think LeBron had sixty one against the Hornets a couple oh, years yeah. like when he was still with the Heat. Yeah, it was a trivia question. You're it right. was that was one where he was so obviously going for sixty two. He just started chucking a bunch <laughs> of shots in the fourth when they were up twenty plus. Uh, but I guess that's kind of what you have to do unless you're like having a ridiculously on fire game or you're in a game like this where the other team has guys like Troy Daniels who are just as hot and kind of keeping things close. Yeah, Troy Daniels and I got a little note here, Nick. Not sure if you see it. Did you see Troy Daniels post game interview? Something about um, Kemba running the wrong play. Yeah. I, I saw the transcript, but I didn't see the video. So, you know, Troy Daniels goes off last night, hits the game winner, essentially 28 points, eight three-pointers, easily career highs in all these different stats. Um, he gets to be interviewed, of course. He wins the game, goes over to the nice sideline reporter. She says, tell me about that last play. And he instantly goes, well, Kemba messed up the play. Uh, but it was all right, so I just shot it. <laughs> Kemba was bad in this game. He, he's gonna he came out with a nice line, but he just couldn't keep his footing for a lot of the night. Didn't look like he had his normal quickness. He got blocked on what would have been a uh, game winner to to go to the second overtime, which which was maybe a better play by Willie Cauley Stein. But still, that, I mean that that shot had no chance going, getting over him. Right, um, player of the week. So Walker was the player of the week uh, for the East, and Ron or Cousins was the player of the week from the West, coming coming at each other. And of course, you have a lot of injuries for the Hornets, and it makes sense that Walker would be the player of the week because he's just jucking up shots. Those players combined to go twenty six of fifty five from the field uh and, and demarcus cousins accounted for 21 of those field goals kemba 5 of 25 one of those games that you know 24 8 4 4 a block you're like wow really did well but 13 of 15 from the line uh, helped him out quite a bit both these teams got to the line a decent amount 26 attempts for charlotte with over half of those coming from kemba and then 32 like you said for sacramento but i mean that's kind of what boogie's been doing lately getting to the line I mean, that that's you if you're going to be putting up point totals like this, that's what's always such a big factor in it. You know, you're not going to be able to hit 20 plus field goals or make 20 plus field goals per night. And you look at his his free throw totals over 11 per game as far as attempts this month: 16, 20, 12, 21, 13 games where even if he's not on, you know, from a shooting perspective, he's able to affect affect the game so much just by getting to the line and being physical. So we're doing good on time. So I want to pose this this question. There's always talk about trading Cousins. Kings should trade Cousins. Why can't anybody ever just realize that Cousins is one of the best players in the league right now? Why would they ever think about trading him? Like Now what, what's the plus side of trading him? At some point you could have said um, you know, he doesn't mesh well with the other players, but all this stuff. But he's easily one of the best players. Like you said, he's going to win player of the month. Why the heck would the Kings trade him away? That's a good question. I think that 
that question has always been posed with the assumption that either his character issues are too much to handle or he wants out. And there's really been no indication of either of those things, right? right? It's always, he's been suspiciously loyal to a team that's been terrible to him. I guess personally, they've been good to him as far as, you know, the way they treat him, the way they talk about him. But I like this coach. Well, we're going to fire this coach. I'm not sure about this guy. Well, we're hiring him, you know. Terrible draft pick after terrible draft pick. Failed signing after failed signing. It, he doesn't have much of a reason to be there. It's not New York. It's Sacramento. It's not L.A. Um, if anything, he should be pissed at the right. organization for not giving him players to play around. Right, exactly. And so there's not. There's always been. You know, he's always been in in talks. It seems for the last two, three years. You know, Boston's kind of always lurking with all those picks. And you know, I, I just wrote something that we'll talk about a little bit about Milwaukee. You know, taking a stab at him, which is you know, a one percent chance that they even consider that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think right now, like you'd be insane to trade him. I mean, this guy is, is as valuable as just about anyone. Right. And so we always, we always hate on the Kings for, excuse me, their draft picks or their trades or anything like that. Getting rid of cousins would be a dumb trade. I don't care how you slice it up. Even if you bring in Boston and you get draft picks, we talked about this a little bit last night. Picks are great, but when you can get guaranteed bona fide players in this league who you know can play and then you you know what their age is and you know how many years are left, I, you can't you can't beat that when it compares to draft picks. People over fantasize about draft picks so much. Um, and so I think that trading cousins away for really anything is dumb. I mean, even two of these... It depends. It depends because, it's like we've talked about, they don't have pieces around him. So if you can trade him, say Boston is somehow willing to give you like Avery Bradley and two future Nets picks, including the one that might be number one this year, it's like you, you're not going to... Those things maybe combined don't necessarily add up to what Cousins gives you individually, but you kind of have to look at it from this perspective of, all right, Cousins is putting up these huge numbers. He's really good. But with this roster and with you know, the way the, the salary works out and what we're able to bring in, it's just not going to work. It's just going to be a Carmelo situation where he puts up huge numbers, but the team's never that good. So you, at some point you have to mortgage, is it better to be okay and have this really good player or roll the dice a little bit and get rid of this really good player who we know is really good, but have a chance to add two or three good players and end up being a better overall team when it's all said and done? That's why teams do these type no, of moves, I, right? Yeah, no, I, I understand. I just... I think when you have a talent like Cousins on the court who has shown his loyalty to the franchise, you not only – I hate when people say this, but you owe it to him to figure it out and put the right pieces around him um, instead of just tossing yes. it in the trash and hoping you get picks. And the way he plays, it's not – it's not like he's just going for numbers, you know? The turnovers are an issue, but yeah. he's putting up. I mean, for a for a guy who plays a lot of center, the assist numbers are are good. He's become a much better defender than he used to be. That's that's been huge for them. He's not a guy that you you can't build around at if all. You, if you have twenty seconds left on the clock in a game and you need two points to win, Demarcus Cousins is obviously one of the best, or is is probably one of the best options in the he's entire. He's the league. best paint scorer in the league by probably a pretty good margin, right? Am yeah. I think? Am I forgetting someone? Uh, Al Jefferson a year and a half ago, maybe. I yeah, I mean, sure. I think the combination of what he brings is so much better than Al Jefferson. Yeah, no, like I'm, Al I'm Jefferson agree, in I'm a one-on-one backdown scenario is maybe that good, but the, the the dynamism that that you get with Cousins, like present-day Cousins, with the shooting and being I'm able ag- to attack. I'm agreeing with you. I'm just trying to think of in the paint scores that would be even comparable, and I don't no. think Al Jefferson at his best is even comparable to Cousins right now. But I think he might be the closest. 
Yeah, I think Cousins is sneakily more athletic than people give him credit for, too, because he's such a big guy that he kind of gets lumped into that that lumbering uh, center type of role. But no, he's he's a freak. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I I don't really have too much more to say about this one. And it was it was a shame how it went down because he was going to get sixty points. But you know, if you want to be objective, that's probably a foul. It's tough that that he had to go out on that. I don't think anybody would have cared if it was a no call. Certainly not a call on Kaminsky by any means. Um, and I think Boogie I think thought she, it was on Kaminsky. At I first. think Charlotte got the raw when it was all said and done. I think Charlotte got the raw deal on on if you're gonna look at all the fouls. I think they ended up getting the raw. I don't deal. Know. There were some pretty. They had eight. They, they called a lot of like guys. loose ball fouls in that second overtime. And I thought Cousins like, was kind of on watch for a little bit there after he got kicked out. Yeah, he was. Because I mean, he was. There were some pretty questionable. And Cauley Stein picked up two, basically just diving for a loose ball. Three um, power forwards for Charlotte fouled out. You can't tell me that there were legitimately 18 calls. I mean, I need to go back and look at it, I guess. Yeah. But when was the last time you remember three power forwards foul out? And it wasn't even like this happened in overtime. I know one of them did, but I think two of the guys, I think Marvin Williams and and uh, and Haas fouled out in the regular, you know, yep. in regular time. So. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, Anyways, yeah, that's true. I, you can't but that, that's just foul. what happens when you are going up against Cousins, you know. I I think he's one of those guys, much like LeBron, that, uh, you know, people, I think LeBron's probably the epitome of this. And does he oversell fouls and yell at the refs more than he should? Absolutely. Hell yeah. But you also see a lot of times where you'll see a slow motion replay of a, of a layup or something. You don't even notice contact when you watch it in real time because of just how easily he breaks through kind of what are basically arm tackles in football. And Cousins is the same way a lot inside, I think. So for every, you know, this game, maybe they called a few too many on Williams, Hawes, Hansborough, whatever it might be, but they're probably a, a lot more that they didn't call or could have called. Okay, fair enough. We don't need to talk about sure. it too much longer. Great game, super yes. entertaining game. Uh, I'm glad that happened at the same time the Warriors-Spurs games happened, so nobody was let down too much last mm-hmm. night. Blake Griffin, this is an interesting story. This came out of nowhere. He has a broken hand. He's going to miss four to six weeks, it sounds like. Could be more, could be a little less. He was already hurt with that quad injury, was kind of expected, I think, to be back maybe later this week. Obviously, that won't be happening now, but he gets in a fight with a team equipment manager at a restaurant in Toronto, and apparently, it sounds like beat him up pretty good. He was in the hospital, and that's what's going to happen when you're fighting a 6'10", I don't even know how to... Behemoth. Just behemoth. Sure, that's a great word. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, I don't know how do how do we want to attack this. I think there's been a lot. This has been dominating ESPN and the internet for as most of for, as the more yeah as it should. Um, well, I'll start with asking you this: Do you think that beyond this four to six weeks that he's going to miss with injury, do you think he should face any discipline, whether it's from the league or from the Clippers? Well, we got to find. I mean, we have to do the whole investigative reporting and find out what truly happened. But if we're just going to be hypothetical, which why not? Let's just do it and just say that. Blake Griffin is just kind of an ass and just, you know, somebody said something to him or the equipment said, said it to him and just went off on him. Then maybe the entire season in all honesty, no, he beat somebody. I mean, if, if that guy went to the hospital, I mean, you can't be doing that, man. Does it cannot be doing that. You can't be doing that in life. I think he should go to jail for doing that. Jail. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's maybe a little strong. This would be an assault case at the end of the day. You know, I don't know if he ends up going to jail. Um, so are we going to say he's a first offender well, and all that kind of thing? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that at that point it's in the legal system's hands, and we're in no position to speak about that. And the I NBA mean, always waits. If you remember, right. just a few weeks ago, they didn't even suspend Ty Lawson right, until exactly. eight and you know nine months. I remember, yeah, and it's confusing because uh, you see Ty Lawson suspended. Yes. I'm like, did he get another DUI? It's like, okay. oh, this is the one from like a calendar year ago, of course. Yes. Um, which is you know, in some ways, very admirable that you don't jump to conclusions. Essentially, they take an opposite stance as the NFL, right? Than the NFL. It, I don't even know what the NFL stance is, honestly, but we'll we'll bash them another time. Um, so does it matter to you that one, it was a team employee and two, apparently these two guys were friends. Uh, one Clippers reporter said that, you know, it was something along the lines of, you know, you hear equipment manager and you just think it's some guy, you know, and he freaked out at him or something, but he said that they, they were like good friends. They would hang out off the court at each other's houses, things like that. Does that make it better or worse to you? For some reason, for me, that makes it slightly better in that you're not just punching random people. You know, it's somebody that you at least have a history with. I guess it's just a buddy buddy fight. I mean, I don't get in any knockdown, drag out fights with my buddies anymore. Maybe growing up, if you had brothers, you can understand this. But I mean, he knows way better than this. I it's mean, weird because he's not. I don't know Blake Griffin, but I would not have expected this from Blake Griffin. So I'm not putting you on blast, but let's just let's just bring in Okafor here and let's compare situations. Okafor gets into a fight with some rando on the street. Griffin gets into a fight with with his friend, but his friend goes to the hospital and is, and you know critical care i don't know if he's critical care but no. what we got to talk about the wording of your note here afterwards um so which is worse then essentially because that's what you're talking about some rando or a buddy so what's worse okafer's incident or griffin's incident and of course if we had video of griffin's incident and we saw it we might be thinking the griffin is so what did okafor get one to one game two games i think two games not jail two games and no um, jail. <laughs> and the other thing with okafor is that there was evidence that he was being provoked you know by people saying sixers suck or whatever it was but like is that even provocation at that point you know it's one they do suck two it can't be the they first time thousands he's ever... of people yelling that right at, yeah so i court. don't know i mean you can you can you can debate for yourself whether that's whether that was actually provoked um but i think the fact that it's an internal thing is so much different um it, it just adds more dynamics like if you're the equipment manager like do you sue blake griffin do you press charges against yes. blake griffin sure Unless but your friends buddy. allegedly, like it's so it, yeah, bizarre. Oh, I mean, he'll win. They're going to do a settlement and all that. I'm stuff. sure, right? I, I just this I don't is know. Un, you wrote unprecedented, and I totally agree. I don't know how to tackle this situation. That's why I'm bringing in Okafor, and that's all I. Really I'm very interested to, to see that the Clippers are expected to issue a statement probably any time now as we record on Tuesday afternoon. Chances are, it's just a. Uh, we're aware of the incident and are looking let's, internally, yeah. whatever. But let's live on the edge here, Nick. Based on everything you know about Blake Griffin, he's got lots of commercials. You've seen him in the media. You've heard. Are you surprised that this person did something like this? Yeah, totally. I think everybody is right. I mean, I don't. I don't. I think he was kind of seen as, at least in the league, people thought of him as like a fake tough guy, right? Yeah, but I, I mean, but he's you know he's funny. He's engaging in commercials. He. He's, I don't. I don't know. It's hard to. It's hard to t- like typecast people. I never. I guess if you would have asked me a month ago or two months ago, I wouldn't have said Jalil Okafor would do that either. I don't know. Maybe sure. we just don't know these guys. Like, there's nothing. Like, I couldn't find one good reason why I would say Okafor would do that over Griffin. You know, right? I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't think of one. So obviously, we're living in a. And who knows what the situation zone, is? I mean, maybe Blake. Maybe Blake will tell us something that makes it seem like it was warranted or something. Yeah. Right? And who knows? Okay, but what, a weird story nonetheless. I have to ask you. Broken Skull Ranch is what you wrote down. What what are you talking about here? Because I did some research here. I thought we were you wanted to talk about something I didn't know. So I did my own research, but I don't think it's related to anything that you're talking about. Uh, well, I just I, on our little outline here, I wrote 
you know, Hornets, Kings, Spurs, Warriors, and then Blake Griffin's Broken Skull Ranch, which is just a stupid joke on Steve Austin's Broken Skull Ranch, the TV show. Okay. It's like a video, or uh, what do you call it? Kind of like a reality It's a reality TV challenge show. show. And I found yeah. that out. And so I went to Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin's page, went to Broken Skull Great Ranch, page. Did the about, uh, read the about, and here's what this ranch is. This is, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but this is his, you know, view of what the ranch is, where everything that grows will cut you, stick you, or hurt you. But also, much of what grows is high protein. <laughs> high protein means big antlers. Yes. Well, as long as you have good genetics and let the deer get old. But anyway, back to the story. I think uh, Steve Austin wrote that himself. I thought that's what we were going to be talking about today, so I, I came prepared and ready. No, no, maybe that was a bit of a misnomer. Nobody's skull was broken, as far as I'm aware. But okay, I don't know. I, I think I was watching that for like five minutes last night after the after I was kind of in a depressing stupor of like shock after the third quarter ended in Golden State. And I was like, I, just, I was planning on watching this for another 45 minutes. Now I need to find something. And, and Steve Austin's Broken Skull Ranch was there for me in my time of need. Um, but yeah, anything else with Blake Griffin? I mean, is there anything else that you want to – any other angles to the story that haven't already been beat to death? Well, I will say – oh, easy with your word choice there. Uh, I will say there were – no. <laughs> oh, that was bad. Yeah. That was not intentional. Uh, November 11th, I believe, the Clippers played the Dallas Mavericks, and for a good portion of that game, Dwight Powell, uh, second-year man Dwight Powell, who plays for the Mavericks, was faced up against Griffin – and for whatever Griff, for whatever reason, Griffin was really like giving it to him, pushing him around, just yelling at him, doing all this stuff. And I didn't know if it was kind of like you're young in this league initiation stuff, or I just never realized that Griffin was kind of a bully, for lack of a better term, on the court. And so when I heard of this story, my mind immediately went back to that because I just didn't understand why Griffin was treating him so meanly, and I didn't see anything from Powell to warrant that he's, behavior. Yeah, he's not known as any kind of instigator. Right, and, and so that's the only other angle I would take that, of course, I'm like, oh, I'm not surprised. I remember this, blah, blah, blah. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, but that's the first thing uh, my mind went to uh, when I heard this story. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm not, like we said, we're not really in a in a position to speak on Blake Griffin's character by any means, and it's just, it's just a weird scenario, and it's weird for the Clippers now because, you know, what do you do? This is, I mean, your team... They're going to be fine as far as you know making the playoffs, but this is going to knock him out until probably early March, and at that point, it's you know two months to to kind of get things going uh, before the playoffs. So weird situation for Griffin. Who knows what's going to happen to him? You know, from a, a public eye standpoint, weird situation for the Clippers, who just traded away one of their backup power forwards. You know, a guy who wasn't playing a ton of minutes in Josh Smith. But um, do they do know, that guy, trade now? That's a good question. I. I don't think so, just for depth reasons. Because unless you're going to plan on bringing in someone else, which maybe they could do, I don't know. I don't know what the situation was between him and Doc. Probably not that great. So maybe that had something to do with it. But I think the reason that why he's out the door is for chemistry issues. And so if if you're going to do it at one point, you probably can do it at any sure, other point. Sure. Sure. So. If if you're looking at it from a pure personnel perspective, they probably don't do it. But you, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. All right. Be part of all the action all season long at DraftKings.com. The official daily fantasy basketball partner of rotowire with dfs you don't need to spend my months i should say micromanaging a roster you can play whenever you want you can pick a new team every time you play challenge your friends in a custom league to prove you're the superior gm or square off against basketball fans from around the country for huge prizes go to draftkings.com now enter the promo code roto hoops that's r-o-t-o-h-o-o-p-s that'll let you play free with your first deposit draftkings the official 
DFS partner of Rotowire. That's promo code ROTOHOOPS. Enter that at DraftKings.com. So you have in here DVR is no longer our agent. Is that on Twitter or officially? No, on Twitter. I haven't so, talked to him about that. Uh, I feel like we need to impose this, bring him in here, you know, have a confrontation about I, it. I actually, I think before you came to the offset, I already made plans to fight him in the parking lot yes, tonight over, uh, pizza, like to dis- over pizza toppings. Yeah. Would you like to discuss the sides of that? I don't like bacon, and people people feel pretty strongly about bacon. I don't know if that's a Wisconsin thing or just a general thing, but you tell someone you don't like bacon – that's basically an invitation, uh, legally, I think, to fight you. Like people are just like, what? Well, that's what you took it as. Yeah, and, and but DVR. most people do. I'm saying like I've I've told people before. You know, it's my deepest darkest secret. I don't like bacon, and people just that's just not okay. Like it's not a, that's not an opinion that you can have. Well, thank you for saying that and not making me do it for you. But I will say, um, of course, me being me. I decided to jump into the middle of your guys' argument and bring up some past issues that you guys have because me being an instigator, Here we go. Here we go. you know, I love to. So I just kind of, you know, douse your fight with a little uh, furry jacket fire. Um, it's a very flammable jacket, long, probably. Long-time listeners to the pod will are probably laughing hysterically now. If you don't know what I'm talking about, rewind two and a half months, maybe. I bought a jacket with fur on the hood, innocently enough, and... <laughs> And I wore it to the office, and little did I know that wasn't an, an okay thing to wear, apparently. But I don't know. It's gotten mixed reviews. Not not great in the office, but outside of the office, people seem to like it. It's a nice coat. That's all I I'm st- going to say about that. I still like you for all your faults. Even with the coat? Even with the bacon. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the Cavs. Uh, you know I like talking Cavs. And I recently, I think I recently outed myself as a as a LeBron fan on the Basketball Podcast, which really drew some ire. You've done that uh, here too. Yeah, I know. People know it here. Hopefully, finally. Uh, but the Cavs, they won. They won. They beat the Timberwolves, the Timber Pups last night. Uh, first win under Tyron Lue. Obviously, David Blatt was fired last week. They played terribly against Chicago. Wasn't a game where I shouldn't say they played terribly. They shot the ball terribly. It was very reminiscent. I think I saw one one Cavs beat writer say it reminded them of that opening game last year when LeBron came back and they lost to New York I mean there that was so much hype you know I think one of the first plays of the game LeBron had a fast break was fouled finished it and you know flexed the arms and at the crowd and you know that was kind of one of those oh man he's back they're going to be dominant and then the rest of the game they just couldn't hit a shot and that's kind of what it seemed like they defended really well and LeBron said that after the game still talking about the Bulls game that you know he's like yeah you know the offense will come I thought we defended really well and and that that was true they didn't defend quite as well uh, last night, I mean, giving up 107 to Minnesota, but they're also trying to play faster. So I think there's a little bit of an adjustment period there. Did you find it interesting at all that I think some people thought LeBron kind of called out the team's conditioning after that Bulls game? He said something along the lines of, you know, we want to start playing faster, but we're not in shape for it right now. And I think some people thought that was maybe a perceived slight at Love or Kyrie, but I think it was just, you know, we're going to be playing. If we want to, if we want to get five, six, seven more possessions, you know, per game, then we're going to have to run we're going to have to be in better shape you know and i don't think anyone's necessarily out of shape at this point in the season if you're out of shape that means you've been injured or you haven't been playing or you know i don't know you're is there a good example of somebody who's who's still out of shape at this point there's just different kinds of shape and there's a good point because the Cavs play so slowly that if you start running up and down even two or three possessions in a row it affects you. I mean, we play hoops every every couple of nights. We're, don't bring don't bring me into this. It's Do a, not no, bring it, me into this. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to say it's the same thing, but like it's on a very very micro scale. You you realize what it's like. Oh, you yeah. know, like if you if you come down on a fast break, miss a layup, have to run back, get the rebound, and have to run back again. You're just you're literally just going to be more tired. That's how it works. So, I don't think I don't think I'm too worried about the Cavs conditioning at all. I think 
I think I'm more worried about them making a pretty drastic, what it sounds like, style adjustment midseason while adjusting to a new coach already. First of all, thank you for mentioning me in the same stanza as LeBron James' fitness level and my fitness I, level. Appreciate I think that's that accurate. one. Um, every single night, I mean, every single night we get into the rhetoric of the post-game locker room interviews with these guys, right? I mean, we talked about love pointing over to James and saying it starts with our leader over there and going all crazy. And James saying we got a lot of inexperienced guys and pointing at love and Irving. And then James says, we, you know, we're not in shape. And what does that mean? And all this on and on and on and on and on. The funny thing is, Nick, if the Warriors weren't so good and they were just the Warriors um, of a couple years ago and the Spurs are just, you know, they're still good. The Spurs have always been like that. We would think the Cavaliers were the best team in the league, Right. I mean, this team is still very, very good. If we're going to stack it up over the last 10 years, we're going to say that this team is contending for a title eight out of the last 10 years at least? Or Any year that doesn't have – any year that's not last year and not this year. Exactly. Um, they probably don't beat that Spurs team that beat Miami. So this team and this media and this fan base is beating themselves up because they cannot live up to the Western Conference. I don't even know what the standard is. They're 31-12. and 12. Right, they're thirty-one and twelve without. They lost the majority of those games without Kyrie. Like, yeah, I think they're right where they should be. I, I don't think they've overachieved or underachieved really. Maybe slightly underachieved. I think Golden State and San Antonio set year, though, such an unrealistic standard. And and to be fair, that that is the new standard right now. You know, yes. it's a ridiculous standard, but that's what it is. And if you want to be the best team, you have to have four losses right now. That's just how it works. But I think Cleveland views themselves as that good, right? So, like, if Golden State was sitting right, what are the what are the Cavs right now? Well, they are thirty-one get... and twelve. If Golden State was thirty-one and ten or thirty-three and ten, I think the there's no panic, right? The Cavs are right there; they're just as good as Golden State. It's just the fact that Golden State is that good is is inspiring panic for a team that's playing pretty well. I mean, the Cavs are nineteen games over five hundred right now, almost to the All Star break. Yep, I completely agree with they you. Were, they were 19 and 19 at one point yes. last year. So the standard for the Cavs should be last year. That's fair, considering they, by the way, went to the finals and did pretty admirably, considering they didn't have their second and third best players. And so if the standard is last year, they're miles ahead of it, right? They're completely miles ahead of it. And so we all just need to take a step back, realize we're only halfway through the season, injuries are a real thing in the finals, and the Cavaliers are in an incredibly great position to make it to the finals and win the finals they have the easiest route to the finals of your top three top four or top five teams in the nba they're doing just fine it is now, funny too because Cavs fans aren't worried about anyone in the east no you know you're worried about we're stacking up against pl- a there's team still that there's the year. assumption is that we'll get to the finals and lose and that would be a huge disappointment like right. it's crazy it really is crazy, but that's that's what happens when you have LeBron James. Yeah, no, I, I'll say this. It's not necessarily the Cavs. I mean, it is the Cavs, but it's any team that has LeBron James has had expectations. If you don't win the finals, failed year. And it's if Cav, if, if LeBron leaves in two years, it'll be the same expectations. If He's he goes to Phoenix, anywhere. Dallas, anywhere. I'm just saying that it's not a Cavaliers thing. It's not a Cleveland fan base thing. It's a LeBron yes. James thing, and that should speak – and testament to how great he is. It's a LeBron thing, and it's also, to a slightly lesser degree, a LeBron and Cleveland thing because of the history. You know, this is a completely unprecedented situation. Unfinished business, I understand. And it it would would almost be different if he had gone to Miami and struck out all four years and then came back, because there wouldn't be that expectation. But he went there, proved that he could do it in back-to-back years, and after that Spurs loss, 
in, in the second finals, you know, with the rematch with the Spurs, I think, you know, people were people around the Heat organization or LeBron supporters were crushed, but it was also a situation where holy crap, the Spurs played well. You know, it was like, they can't do that again. Like, well, you know, with LeBron back here, we'll be we'll be the better team now. And I think people, it's been a little bit surprising how sustainable the Spurs have been, which it shouldn't be at this point, and then just how ridiculously good the Warriors are. Yeah, we just you, you toss out the outlier, and it just so happens that the Spurs and the Warriors are kind of still outliers this year, you know? Two of the historically best regular season teams of all time. You got to throw them out the window. You know what you get? You get the Cavs as one of the best teams in the league. I mean, wouldn't the Warriors or the Spurs kill to be in the Cavs position right now? That they wouldn't have to play each other? Probably, before. or the Thunder, yeah. Or I'd... the Thunder, or any team in the West. Well, yeah, I, mean, I I'm think going any too far down, but no, you know no, I mean. no, I think so. I think I, I'm saying that the teams in the West with better records than the Cavaliers would much rather trade places with the Cavaliers. Yeah, I, don't, I think you in terms of route to the finals. Here's the thing. Let's think about it this way, Nick. I don't think people are realizing it this way. Um, I know mathematicians are going to hate me for this, but in theory, the Cavs have a 50 percent chance to win the finals. The Warriors have a 25% chance, and the Spurs have a 25% chance. Now, I know that's rudimentary, and it's very dumb and use of percentages, <laughs> but if you think about it, the Cavs have a better odds to make it to the finals yep. than the Warriors or the Spurs, right? No, because yeah, we of think course. that the Spurs and the Warriors could each beat each other. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's just there's just that chance that you get knocked out early. Yeah, I, I just think it's, I mean, it comes down to if you're the Cavs, you you have to take care of business in one series, whereas with the Spurs you have to take care of business conceivably in two or series. Or the Warriors, or right. the Warriors, sure. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that that's if there were to be a hypothetical midseason realignment, yeah, I think they would love to trade spots. But I I, I don't know, I, it's not going to happen. You know, it's 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 an interesting discussion to have, but uh, it's it's clear that it's a tougher road in the West, even with the East being deeper. So we haven't even talked about the coaching situation. No, yet. were you? I was incredibly surprised. Not that this was one of those makes. Sh- Check five times that it's a, a, yes. a real Woj account before you actually yep. say anything. Yeah, because he changed his Twitter handle recently. Got to yeah. go back and look at all that stuff. Yeah, um, but I mean, reactions wise, I'm not shocked. I I was a little bit disappointed to be honest with some of the reactions from other coaches, and I'm certainly not in no position to criticize their viewpoints. But the unanimous support for David Blatt was interesting. You know, I wait, think- you're disappointed about the support. For Blatt, from other coaches, I'm disappointed in the in what I saw as somewhat blindly supporting him because he's in the coaching fraternity, and there's certainly something to be said for the value of that, uh, especially when it sounds like people in Cleveland didn't really have his back. You know, you have to have somebody supporting him. But the comments for I think of a Spolster that said like, you know, this is a dangerous firing for the coaching profession, which is true to a degree. But they're just looking at the record. You, if you're David Griffin, I thought he, I think he's handled this whole situation perfectly. He took all the responsibility. He even said it was, I think his quote was, you know, it's a little bit of a slight to him and and his group that everyone thinks this was LeBron's decision. He's the one who was in the locker room observing in the film rooms. You know, as all these stories leak out, I don't care what your record is. If you notice that your team isn't playing with, you know, the vigor and the the enthusiasm that you, you're going to need to beat good teams then of course you make this move, right? I think they lost to the two teams that they're most worried about this season, one of them in huge blowout fashion. I don't care if, I don't care if your team is, is going on the road and beating Phoenix or returning home and beating the Clippers. That's all well and good, but if this team is not where it needs to be to beat these good teams, then what, you know, what are you doing? Like if, you're, if they keep David Blatt, they're just playing for what happened last year, in my mind. But to use the argument that we both kind of constructed together... 
the template or the the check mark has to be last year and he was doing better and the team is doing better in in respect to last year just to play devil's advocate with what you just said there like i said there's this overwhelming fear and this anxiety about this team that's one of the best teams and could challenge always be challenging for a title over the last 10 years if you dropped it at any point in the last 10 years i think that it already has been a there already has been dangerous precedent set for the coaching industry, NBA coaching industry. So Kevin McHale earlier this year was a dangerous one. And you know what was the biggest one that all the coaches should just realize this is the standard is George Carl getting fired when he won coach of the year. Like this is nothing new where, I mean, maybe these coaches are coming around to it and it scares them, but this, this is very much the real standard right now is, is championship or bust. If you can't win a championship every single year, you're on the hot seat. That's what it is. It, it just comes down to player happiness, really. You don't want to play. You're not going to play your best or exert your best effort. And there's these reports that you know the the Cavs half tanked a game against Portland or something after the Christmas Day loss to the Warriors. If the players are doing things like that, you can't keep a guy around just because of the record. I I think that's just ridiculous. Like, if if people aren't happy with the performance, and and clearly, the, the general manager who, who's making these decisions isn't happy with the performance. He has the right to make these moves. They, basically, what it came down to for me is David Griffin had to look in the mirror and say, are we winning these games because of David Blatt, or are we winning them despite David Blatt? And I think it was the, it was the latter, clearly, right? Yeah. No, I, I agree with you, but it is kind of funny that we just set up a whole argument about the team saying the standard should be last year and they're out they're outperforming it and you know we're kind of turning back on that so i i understand if if people want to chastise us for that but i i, I do agree with you i think things could be better they're they, overperform they're overperforming last year's expectations because of talent they when the going gets rough you have to have you know harmony between mark the jackson staff. is a good I mean, the the team was on the rise, right? Mark Jackson was on the rise. The team was on the exactly. rise. Steph Curry was budding Great into a talent. Clay yes. Thompson, all of this. But you know what? The Warriors organization felt like things could have been better. They do it, and it right. works out for them. They were completely right. But the other thing with that is, you know, like we'll never know. Maybe they win the they go on and win the title with Mark Jackson last year. But it still doesn't mean that the players are are happy. And you have, to, I think, if you if you want to build something in Cleveland, this isn't just going to be a one year run. I mean, the goal is to get a title. It, Cleveland's in such a unique situation as a city and with LeBron coming back that they just want a title. And, like, LeBron only has to win one, right? Like, they're not going to be disappointed if they win it this year and never win another one. Like, that'll be fine. No. And it but, counts for his, for his it, legacy. Yeah. It counts as two But if you're a GM, like, your job is to keep this team good every year. And you can't have a coach out there who the players clearly don't respect. Uh, a coach who has, you know, had some, some kind of high-profile coaching, you know, physical coaching gaffes. Uh, that that have kind of led to that disrespect, I think, from the players. And I don't know. I didn't have a problem with it. It was I was surprised. Uh, certainly, I, I don't think anybody wasn't surprised. Maybe some of these these Cavs journalists who had who had apparently been sitting on the story for a while, um, they, they probably weren't surprised. But it, I I think it's justified. I think if you are not happy with your coach, you shouldn't let the results necessarily dictate something. Hypothetical question for you, um, since we're talking about the state of, of coaching in the NBA. Doesn't it seem like it would actually be better, let's just say next year, to take over a team like the Minnesota Timberwolves and have job security for the next three to four years as you're progressing than to take over a team 
like Billy Donovan is yep. right now with the Thunder, where he could be fired in two years because he had the talent already, boom, right there. So if you're a coach in the NBA, you're trying to make things, maybe you're making the jump from college, isn't there a lot of evidence that you would actually want to be with a bad team to start out with if you care about job security? If you're, if you're a rookie coach and David Blatt you know, certainly doesn't think of himself as a rookie coach, then, yeah, I think it's a little bit easier maybe to cut your teeth with a younger, talented roster like Minnesota. I... Sorry, I think Sam when, Mitchell. When, just no love. No, for, no love. No, for I, had, I talked with a friend last night about him, and it quickly turned to all caps from his front his <laughs> end. Um, I think when you have a team put together like this Cavs team is, and like the Thunder were or still are, I guess, you know, under Scott Brooks, the job of the coach more or less is to kind of not mess things up. And I think that's what David Blatt was doing, and that's what they feared was going to happen. Was that he's not killing us. We're 19 games above 500. The coach isn't killing us, but the players don't like him. And if it comes down to it, he might ultimately hurt us more than he can help us. And I think Tyron Lue is a guy, whether you think he's a LeBron pawn or not, that at least has some respect and or has a respect to the players. And is a guy that has, I think, a pretty high floor as a coach and maybe not the highest ceiling. You know, he's not going to he's not going to come out with some scheme that turns them all of a sudden into the best offense in the NBA. But He's also he's also going to let the let the players I think decide what what ultimately happens with this team and not make it something where you say man if they had a different coach maybe they would have won. Fair enough, but if he's taking over some young young team, I don't know if we view him as wow he's going to be a mastermind that's really going to take this. Tyron Lue. Yeah. Oh no, I don't right. think so either. But for this particular situation, yes, uh, you mentioned that he's essentially a players' coach and whatnot. But what about the remarks he made post game? We're some weird quotes he's already he's coming out hot with these quotes yeah, i don't exactly. like well, the first quote last week at, right after the firing you know it was what are you going to do differently and he said something along the lines of i'm not going to do anything differently i'm just going to do things better <laughs> and i don't i don't know i didn't i didn't watch the live clip i've just seen it repeated over and over i don't know if, if that was intentional or if he just doesn't talk to the media that much but uh, then last night he kind of solidified his crazy post-game comments with saying right that um I talked to the team and I told them that they're focusing on their own personal brands yeah. too much in in respect to Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. Did you think that that's He basically a said you have to defer to LeBron. Yeah. Yeah, did, I think Do you legit. think that's a legitimate thing that he should one be saying to his team behind closed doors and two saying it in you know to the media? If he has if he truly has the respect of the locker room then yes because then they'll listen to him, right? In theory, it's maybe not the best news they want to hear, but it also doesn't mean like when you hear defer to LeBron like that doesn't mean they're never going to shoot the ball. It just means that when LeBron's on the court, LeBron is the focal point. That is that is a proven championship formula for two championship teams, and it's a proven winning formula. I think I think it's just kind of a it's something that probably needed to be said a long time ago, and maybe wasn't said because you know the previous coach it sounded like didn't necessarily have the rapport with the players to say something like that and have it not react poorly for him. If that makes sense. Is that something David Black could have told Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and that, that they would have really taken to heart, or do you think they would have just brushed it off or become angry at him? I just think he's coming out guns a-blazing for no reason at all. I mean, take a note from J.B. Bickerstaff. I like the confidence. Just, do you? I do. I, I like guess. it because I because from all from all you read about David Blatt, it was that just he just didn't he just couldn't say what he wanted to say because of what what happened to him. And like I think Ty, Tyron Lewis is saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Do all the things that I thought I should have, that David Blatt should have told you guys a year ago. I'm going to lay it out now. What I do they guess. have to lose? I no, I understand. It's just so different from my own personal philosophy or philosophy. 
whenever I come into a new situation, I lay low, lay low, and then you know once I have a good boom. assessment, I'm, boom, let's make these changes. But this guy's coming out hot, and he could go down in flames if things don't. Turn Just out, out of well. curiosity, this doesn't matter really for this discussion. But you've you played sports growing up. What kind of coach did you, did you respond best to? A fiery get on your case type of coach or a you know relaxed coach who's just kind of like do whatever or somewhere in the middle it's tough to say because we're talking about grown men trying to adhere to grown men and I will say that I was so scared of just my personality I was so scared of the get in your face coach that I guess I would say I actually performed better I was just scared out of my mind, uh, and so I actually did better than the buddy-buddy kind of coach. But again, you know, I'm, I'm a little kid trying to figure yeah. out what the world is like, so it's, it's hard to compare. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, there's, all, there's money involved. There's, you know, contracts that if you – Lots of pride. You know, well, meeting benchmarks to get kickers what, in your contract. What about you, though? Uh, definitely a calm coach. you played a lot of a lot of. I played, the, I played the sports, right, and did yeah. you play calm, AAU? Yeah. Yeah, you did. My coach – our AAU coach, shout out to the great Liam Farrell. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, he was kind of known for for definitely being a player's coach. Uh, maybe maybe too much sometimes, but it's a lot of fun. I definitely like I like that style a little bit more. I don't. I think the the playing out of your mind because you're scared thing that would like backfire for me. I think I never I was never comfortable, you know, because you're you always worried about you know you're, not only are you making a mistake, you're also going to get an earful about it. So I just think that kind of compounded any kind of mistakes that you might make. But people probably don't care what. Uh, what about our coaching philosophies? Last thing I want to touch on with the Cavs. You you mentioned the quote. You know, he kind of called out Love and Kyrie. This clearly, this big three still isn't meshing. It hasn't been a disaster. First of all, it hasn't been a complete no. disaster. I mean, said again, numerous times over the last thirty minutes, this is not a disaster team. You know, when people say it's not working, should they trade Love? Basically, all that means is they can beat twenty-eight teams every night, but they can't beat two teams. And that, the way the NBA works right now, that's a big problem. But it's it, it's. There's some reactions like this is a, has been a just complete failure, and it really hasn't at all. Um, I just wanted to, to point out, like, there's first of all, it's pretty much unprecedented for guys to come together in this way. And the only other time recently is the Heat, and the same thing happened with them. It, but the guys were, you know, there's a little bit older. You know, Dwayne Wade, there wasn't a Kyrie kind of factor with that team. It was veterans who were all in the same draft class, who were all, you know, buddies, who all had the same vision. And I'm not saying that Love and Kyrie are, don't have the same vision as LeBron. Can, yeah, let's just stay on this because I know you have a lot of different examples, but I want to point out Mario Chalmers was the Kyrie Irving of that team. Do you know what I mean? Not 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 in the same way, but in terms of him being mature, him basketball playing the player. same position. No, but do you know what I'm saying? Where these three were, just they all- were hoping to get two three pointers per game and decent defense for Mario Chalmers, and he still prevented him from or himself from doing that for that team. He didn't understand his role on the team. I don't team, know. I thought he was pretty he good. Put in his place he had some so huge games in the finals over. over the years. I agree. He was, he was stiff, terrible in that last saying, finals, but if, the, the finals before that, he was he was huge for them. If you're trying to look at a player who doesn't quite understand what it takes to be a championship team. It seemed like at least the big three with Miami made him out to they were always having to whip him back in line and get in line. And then if you're trying to compare it to Kyrie or even Kevin Love, where LeBron is just doing them this himself to those two guys, it's not it's not Wade, Bosch, and LeBron. It's LeBron trying to do it with everyone else on his team. Does that make sense? I'm I'm really harping on the fact that they yelled at Mario Chalmers oh, every single game. I just think they weren't. It was it was not Mario Chalmers' team. He wasn't. They need Kyrie to win a title. They didn't need Mario Chalmers to play well, to play at an elite level to win a title. But the point I wanted to make is that 
there are some tandems, Katie and Russ, they were drafted together, they came up together, it's a little bit different, and even them, I mean, they've gotten as much scrutiny as just about any superstar tandem, and it's also a good point to note that there just aren't that many superstars, super superstars playing together like this uh, in Cleveland, so there's not that much precedent for it working out, you know, there's not, it's not like this is this huge problem, and why can't these guys figure it out, it's like, what superstar threesome has ever figured it out right away like this, and the Heat only figured it out because Chris Bosh finally said, you know what, fine. I, I, he had some games in the finals where he would just score two, four, yep. six points, get yep. eight rebounds, and he was fine with that. People, when, when Kevin Love does that, it's not, oh, he's making such a great sacrifice. It's, man, what is he doing? He can't yep. score. Great point. So, man. you great know, look at, look at the other, like, superstar or star tandems that we have in the league. Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler. Rose, not a superstar, but he's still a superstar as far as stature, uh, you know, for that team. They, what, ha- what happened in the beginning of the season? Rumors they're not getting along. Miami's big three. They they started out that first year what seven and ten or something like that worse that than good. the Cavs, um, Lakers with Dwight and Nash and Kobe that was a complete disaster. Dwight and Harden in Houston they reportedly don't like each other. Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan they all apparently didn't like each other by the end. It just it doesn't really work that well. And if you're going to make it work, somebody has to take a back seat. At least one person has to take a back seat. And you have to have a strong enough coach and a strong enough supporting cast that you can kind of weather these storms because it's not all going to be perfect when you have three guys on max deals who are all max caliber players. Great points, Nick. I, I, it really is just a good thing to bring up in all these examples. The funny thing is I think that Love is easily the guy who has already said that probably behind closed doors. You know, if I only put up two points but I get eight rebounds, you know, let's do this. But are they really cool with that? That's what you have to actually buy in. You can't just say it. Probably not, but here's the thing. He's shown no indications that he's unhappy with that. I mean, but the problem is that the media and the fans chastise him for not competing, so he's in a rock and a hard place where – um, you know, he wants to appease his teammates. He's willing to take a back seat, but he's still hurting his brand, Tyron yep, Lue. Exactly. Um, and so he's in a rock and a hard place. And he, he, not only on the court, but off the court, he's just trying to figure out where he fits in with this team. The and he's brand, trying really hard. I mean, right. I think he's legit, legitimately trying, but yeah. he's just getting it from all angles from us and everywhere else. One, the Bosch comparison, you know, this, that's so obvious because we've basically seen this whole soap opera unfold four years ago, five years ago. The Bosch thing was uh, was a little bit different because I think the fans, especially year two, year three of that run, they started to see what he did defensively, and it was there were games when Bosch would be terrible on offense. You know, the confidence wasn't there. There was that spree where I think was it was it against the Pacers in one of the conference finals where like, I mean he was just getting killed left and right in the media. But I think Cleveland fans were able to see the value that he brought defensively. That even if he wasn't shooting it all that well or scoring it all that well. He was rebounding. He was playing great D. He was helping them win these games in that regard. With Love, it's he'll struggle offensively, and then he'll have like two vine-worthy sure. defensive plays that just make it so much easier to pile on. Uh, so I think that has something to do with it. But the brand part of that quote that you mentioned from Lou, he's, he said something about, you know, we've got to buy in. You can't be worrying about your own brand. That, that might strike a chord with me if I'm Kyrie or if I'm Love, that accusation that you're playing for your brand. Because you're in year two and a half or one and a half of this thing. You know, I think by that point, you, you kind of have to be beyond that, or at least you would think that you're beyond that. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, the fact that Kevin Love committed back to the Cavaliers would say, I care about winning more so than my brand because he could have went to L.A. or something like that. 
and been the face of L.A. basketball, yes. of professional basketball in L.A. So for Lou to say something like that is a little short-sighted in, in the fact that Kyrie, you know, loved, they could go anywhere and be the brand of an entire state or region of the United States if they wanted to. They chose not to. Sure. Maybe not so much and Kyrie that, and like, at this point. But yeah. On paper, that should be enough. You know? Yes, But it's exactly. not. It's not. You, no, have, to, you not. have to look like you're having fun. You have not. to look like everyone's playing well. It's, um, yeah, it's interesting. But before we get to trivia, Wix.com, a presenting sponsor, the Rotowire Basketball Podcast. You need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix has something for you. It's used by more than 75 million people worldwide. Wix makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website. Hundreds of designers made customizable templates to choose from. The drag and drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't have to have any crazy computer knowledge. You don't need to be a programmer or a designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, probably too busy, uh, especially too busy worrying about your budget, too busy worrying about scheduling appointments, too busy to be building a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix, that's W-I-X.com to create your own website today. The result will be stunning. My turn to look like a fool. Let's do it. Yeah, we came out. I think we, we did all right. Uh, I did all right last week, and you you were pretty hot two weeks ago uh, okay. in trivia. So I think we're on a we're on a better run lately than we have been. Uh, but yeah, let's get, let's jump right into this. It'd be, you know, we could scratch each other's backs one day and share the information and both look intelligent, but instead no, we try to not. humiliate each other. Right? Yeah, is, that would that would not be it's fair. More fun than I don't want to do that. So DJ Trainer, there are four Western Conference teams right now, averaging more points per game than any team in the East. Which four teams are they? Definitely the Warriors. Number one. I would think the Thunder. You would think correctly. I want to say the Spurs, but I'm going to hold off. And... You got the first two. Golden Clippers. State and OKC. Clippers are number five, and they are... Oh, so I guess there are different uh, different numbers on ESPN and basketball reference. So ES- we'll go with ESPN since I have that up. Apparently there are five teams that are ahead of any team in the East in scoring. Uh, the Clippers are one of those, so you're correct there. You have Golden State, OKC, and the Clippers, so two more are ahead of Boston, who's the highest-scoring team in the East. It wouldn't be trivia if we didn't actually retract uh, right. our, our question somewhat. Yes. So I guess I have to say the Spurs. No. Okay. I, all right. One of these you think is kind of obvious. The other one is— I think I know the not-so-obvious one. Or It's between two teams. The Kings? Yep, that's, that's what I was thinking of. Yep. So one more. Uh, maybe the Rockets? Yes. Okay. There we go. Not bad. I knew when I read this question, I was like, Kings, they're yeah. always scoring over 100 points. Yeah, they but are. They're always allowing so 100 bad. points, too, but they're scoring over They give up the most attempted threes per game. It, yeah, that one made sense. All right, let's look at the 2011 NBA draft. <laughs> All right. I want you, I'm going to give you a list of players, and I want you to tell me in what order these guys were drafted. So, you know, you don't need to tell me the exact number, but you just have to rank them. Uh, let's see how many are there. One, two, one through four. First guy, Tobias Harris. Second, Kawhi Leonard, Brandon Knight, and Clay Thompson. So which of these guys was drafted first? I think Brandon Knight coming out of Kentucky, was he first? He was. He was eighth overall. Okay. And then I would say Tobias Harris. That's incorrect. Okay. Then I would say Clay Thompson. Yes, Clay Thompson was second. He was 11th overall to Golden State. Then I would say Harris and then Leonard. You would be incorrect. Kawhi Leonard, 15, uh, to the Indiana Pacers. As I'm sure you recall, they dealt him for 
George, George Hill. Hill. Yeah. And then Tobias Harris went 19, technically Harris. to Charlotte. Um, he was a wild card for me. I didn't really know where he was. He was a weird college player to the point where he was a, like a big recruit, didn't really play all that well. Tennessee wasn't that good. And yeah, I mean, he, I think he ended up being better than I thought he would be for sure. Those are good alma maters because Tobias Harris at Tennessee, Clay Thompson went to Washington State, right? Yep. Um, and so immediately you think, eh, probably not high draft picks. Right, exactly. And well, it, you know, it's, it, I don't want to get into where Clay Thompson went, but one pick after the Bucks. That's all, that's all we have to say about that. Uh, all right, question number three. Which of the following players has won more than one MVP award? Shaq, Hakeem, I was going to say Hakeem Warwick. He is not one. I was going to start over. Shaq, Hakeem Olajuwon, Carl Malone, Kevin Garnett, Charles Barkley. Are you going to tell me how many of those out of that group, or is there only one? There's only one. All of these guys have won at least one MVP, but which one of them has won two? I really want to say Carl because he played so many 80-game seasons. I mean, he hardly ever missed a game. Um, I think there were just too many other good players when Barkley played. Barkley stole one from Jordan one year. Yeah, I know. And that's the thing with MVP awards and scoring titles is you never know when a Steve Nash is going to creep up and steal it too, you know? Um, I'm going to say – I'll say Carl Malone. And you're correct. Yes. 96-97 and 98-99. He was too healthy for too long not to win two. Right. I, I'm trying to think, did one of those come when Jordan was playing baseball? <laughs> 96 97 would that have been my uh my typing fingers aren't fast enough let me see to find what we got out, here but, um that's certainly no possible. jordan jordan played jordan played a full uh 96 97 well season. malone was good i mean in terms oh, of yeah. numbers I'm, and production and winning malone, yeah i mean it's Minso- malone it's not like egregious that these guys were winning over sure. jordan it's just it's, it was kind of like lebron from 06 through 20 well there's that yeah voter fatigue exactly where you know there was a strong case that LeBron or even Durant, you know, for most of the stretch, like could have won it every single year. But, yeah. you know, that's not the narrative that you necessarily want. Who is the last Naismith Award winner? So the MVP of college basketball to go on to win Rookie of the Year. So if we're if I'm thinking of, let me name some of the Rookie of the Years in that I can remember. Um, I know we've got Wiggins, right? Derrick Rose, um, Brandon Roy wasn't all that long ago. Kind of. Derek, did I say 2000-something, 2008 or nine? Oh, man, he's been out of the league. He had a weird career. Uh, 06, 07 I, was Roy's rookie year. So I, I would think that I want to say Rose with Memphis, and then he won rookie of the year. No? No, Rose did not. He wasn't national player of the year. He wasn't with Memphis? Um, that would have, well, he, had, he was going up against Tyler Hansborough. Oh, so Hansborough had that locked up from the moment he's the season one of the started. best. He's one of the best college players of all time, hands down. Kind of a, uh, I wouldn't say unprecedented, but a weird guy who literally dominated. Like he was the best player in college basketball for like two and a half years, but you just never considered him a good pro. Yeah. And like the way his pro careers turned out is not surprised anyone at all. Um, did I did I name any of? So I said Roy, I said Wiggins, and well, then. So there's a little bit of a complication, a caveat here. There always is. Uh, because Blake Griffin would be the answer. He won the Naismith Award well, in 09, but he, wasn't, he sat out a year and then won Rookie of the Year. So okay. does, it ma- does it count? Because someone else had won you know, the Naismith Award in what was technically going to be his rookie yeah. year. So I don't no, know. Evan one. Turner was the, the Naismith winner uh, that, in that year. But, so it would be Blake Griffin. 
That's fair. Uh, but if not, then you go back a couple more years and it's Kevin Durant. He's the he's oh, the last right. guy to win it and then immediately go in and be the rookie of the year that following season. I thought for sure before I looked this up that it would be Anthony Davis. Me too. But he did not win rookie of the year. Who what, who beat him out? Damian Lillard. Awards Bizarre, are, right? Awards are dumb. <laughs> Weird, right? I don't remember that happening. I've, I've, and that was a team that had. He seems like somebody who had been an absolute lock. Yeah. Weird, weird, weird. Um, okay, Awards number five. Who's the only active player who's a two-time six-man-of-the-year award winner? So the, th- the first two guys that come to my mind are Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford. And I'll say it's Jamal one of those. Crawford. Yes, yeah. well done. He won it with Atlanta in, and then last year with the Clippers, two years that ago, is, I guess. That is the definition of a journeyman. Well, the definition of a six-man, yeah, really. All right, alma mater, since you love these so much. Uh, we're only, but I'm going to narrow it down. These are all guys who have won an MVP since 1980. So it should be you know, pretty well-known guys. We're not going to dip down and ask you Troy Daniels or anything like that. So we'll start uh, in reverse order. We'll go from starting with 1980. And obviously there are a lot of repeat MVPs. So I'm just going with every player who went to college who's sure. won an MVP uh, since 1980. So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. UCLA? UCLA, yes. Uh, Julius Irving. I was gonna. Say, I thought he went from high school to the ABA right mm-hmm. away. Um, a jersey that I very much want. Temple. Close. <laughs> UMass. Close enough. That's pretty close. That's about as close as me. you can get. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Larry Bird. Indiana State. Magic Johnson. Michigan State. Charles Barkley. Auburn. Hakeem Olajuwon. Mm. Georgetown. Mm, that would make sense, but no, he's a Houston guy. Back when oh, they were doing things. That's right. Okay. David Robinson. Maybe the last player to ever make the NBA from this school and possibly the only player that ever will. I have no factual basis to back that up, but I can't uh, think of anyone else who's ever played there. Gardner Webb. Navy. Oh, he seems too tall to be in the Navy. He was in the Navy. I don't know. I mean, is there any is there some sort of height limit on like ships? I well, he, I think there actually might be because he. I don't know the full David Robinson story, and I'm kind of embarrassed that I don't. I, but I believe so. If you look at college, he finished up eighty six, eighty seven, and he took a year off. So he didn't play. He took two years off to do his Navy service after graduating. So he he graduates Navy in nineteen eighty six, eighty seven after averaging twenty eight and twelve uh, <laughs> for the Naval Academy, shooting sixty percent from the floor, career twenty one and ten over four years takes two years off, and then becomes the number one pick uh, of the Spurs wow. in 89-90. Isn't that crazy? That is wild. That's pretty wild. He's one of those guys that I don't really remember that much when he retired or was well past his peak You know, by the time we were old enough to start right, following this. I barely but remember Duncan as a, as a rookie. This dude scored 71 points in a game. Like he, If you watch his, you know, his highlights, it's ridiculous. Like The athleticism and... Mm-hmm. I, I kind of always remembered him as older David Robinson, you yep, know, the kind of kind of almost what Tim Duncan is right now. Yes, exactly. That's exactly how I but, remember I mean, him. Very 30, limited. Thirty and eleven one year with five assists and three and a half blocks, like just ridiculous numbers, like numbers that we honestly might not see uh, again with this this type of combination of strength and and athleticism and touch. Sure. Um, so yeah, back to the list. Uh, Michael Jordan, North Carolina. Carl Malone. I I really don't know this one. Um, Small school. Okay, doesn't help me any. South. Um, Paul Millsap. Uh, I'm trying to think of anyone else famous who went there. Uh, no, um, Louisiana Tech. 
Okay, Louisiana yeah, I Tech. never would have gotten that. Kind of one of those guys who just absolutely dominated at the mid-major level. Sure. 13th overall pick for a guy who's you know, arguably a top-10 player. Best, yeah, all-time. Yeah, so he, he averaged only 17-9 and nine his senior year at Louisiana Tech after averaging 21-10 and 10 as a freshman, so I'm assuming mm-hmm. a lot of double teams were involved there. Interesting. Shaq. LSU. Iverson. Georgetown. Duncan. Wake Forest. Steve Nash. It's Santa Barbara or Santa Clara. It's one of those. Uh, Barbara. Clara. Dang. Dang. Rose. Memphis. And we know KD and Curry. Texas Davidson. Yes. Good question. like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, a bonus question. I forgot to put this in here. Where did the people's champ two chains play college basketball? He played for one year uh, before the the article that I read this in said, quote, the rap game came calling. Boy, did it. The rec center down the street somewhere in... Alabama State, a respectable program. Okay. Tahid Epps, a 6'6 shooting guard. There's quotes in this article from, what team was it? I want to say it was Memphis, uh, an assistant. Yeah, it was Memphis. They said they looked at him as a replacement for Penny Hardaway. No way. But they said he was too, yeah. It was on ESPN. It was on ESPN. Okay. It was like a feature where they had, it was kind of an oral history thing where they had like four or five people give quotes on, it was, I think it was framed as how good was he actually? Because 2 Chains always talks about how he played basketball, but no, it sounded like he was actually really good. Memphis, the Memphis coach that they interviewed said that they ultimately didn't offer him because they were worried he was too skinny, but I guess he was, he was a hell of a player in high school. Um, one last question I have on here. I don't know who put this in. Is Tracy McGrady the best shooting guard of all time? Just looking for a yes or no here. Uh, there's only one right answer. Uh, I will answer this after I say this. Um, one day I would love to have Miss Whalen on this podcast uh, to talk about My your, mom or yeah, my sister? Okay. Your <laughs> my dog yeah i would love to have your mom on here to talk about your your braids and your tracy grady love affection and the fact that she brought cookies and cake and all that stuff for tracy mcgrady's birthday is he the best shooting guard of all time no no he's not i can't think of one other player who could possibly be the best shooting guard of all time let's go end it or michael jordan maybe um yeah you know we can get my mom on the pod i don't think she knows what podcasts are I've, i've tried to explain it a few times uh, but she'd probably come on. I just don't, I don't, she has a lot of nicknames for me and like, it just wouldn't. Yeah, I know. I bet you. I don't think you've ever met my mom, but she's like the most prototypical, like, like Were, just like. You said that like, nice I mom. should have already met your mom. Like it's my fault. Oh, I don't know. I I'm just saying, I don't know. She, she comes to Madison every now and then. Okay. I, I don't know if she's, she's ever ran into you somewhere, but. I would remember. I don't know. She like, for example, she sent me a picture of a, of the dog, the family dog yesterday. The dog's name is Josie. And. The, the subject line, it was just a photo of the dog. Like, not just the dog's just sitting there. Like, it was, you know, it's a cute dog. I like to see pictures of it, but it wasn't like, man, I need to send this photo. The, the subject line was Sweet Josie Brownski. And I'm, like, I'm looking, I'm like, what the hell? Oh, oh, it's the dog, Josie, of course. <laughs> like, Sweet Josie Brownski. So that's, uh, that's the, the alternative name, I guess, now uh, for our dog. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll talk to her. I'll see if she can come on. She would probably love to tell that story. Uh, the T- the Mac story. I'm telling you, I still it. get I I still get comments every now and then from from people in my fifth grade class who you know a lot of people I'm still in touch with who love it who remember how how odd of a day that was for them and how glorious of a day it was for me. Of course, um, I'm sure I was probably wearing my Trace McGrady jersey knowing that it was his birthday. Um, but <laughs> yeah, great stuff. So as always, I think this is about we're about ready to wrap up here. But free ten days of access to RotoWire.com. If you're interested in that, just go to rotowire.com slash pod. No, uh, no commitment there as far as credit card, anything monetary, just 10 days of access, everything on the site that you want to take a look at. And that'll just run out after a week and a half. So rotowire.com slash pod if you want to take advantage of that. They're going to kill the love of my life. Yay! 
if I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.